Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. First, we start with the vaccination requirements under the BC vaccine card. And when Bonnie Henry announced the vaccine card system earlier this week, she also announced that private employers were able to make their own vaccination rules for their own staff. And let's discuss that right now with my guest, Matt McNeil, owner of the Victoria Pub Company. And that is uh, owns some of the most popular pubs in Victoria. You may be familiar with the uh, the Irish Times and the Bard and Banker two of the more popular pubs in downtown Victoria. Matt, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me, Mike. Hey, Matt, um, you are requiring your staff to get vaccinated, right? Yes, uh, we have. That's a policy we implemented uh, about two weeks uh, or so ago. Tell me why you're doing that. Well, I I think it's our responsibility, Mike, uh, to keep um, our our staff safe, uh, our guests safe, and, and knowing um, um, how uh, dangerous this variant has become, this Delta variant, um, it gets passed along so easily. It is more aggressive. And, and it just became clear to us that we had a responsibility. And so we made it a policy um, at a time where there were roughly 300 staff of them. We only had, I think, four or five total in, in the three or four rooms um, uh, that weren't vaccinated. So it was an easy discussion amongst the staff um, to continue to encourage them all to get it done. So what has been the reaction, like the three or four people who were not vaccinated on your staff, what happened to them? Right. Since since we put the policy in place, um, they've came forward and, and had said that they're going to uh, just this week. Um, and it was, the, it was a couple of things, I think, Mike. I mean, the news that, that um, uh, the, the vaccine uh, in, in the States was approved, uh, the Pfizer uh, was formally approved in the last week, uh, that made headlines. And that gave people that were worried about the, the rush to, to uh, authorize a, a vaccine. That kind of puts that, that, that to rest for a lot of people. I think that helped. Right. Um, you know, I, I think... Uh, we um, are going to see these vaccine passports, knowing that they—they—I know the unvaxxed feel a little pushed into a corner right now. Um, but yeah. but uh, it's it's about getting up at thirty thousand feet, Mike. Looking down at the greater good, and everyone everyone has a responsibility to do their part. Okay, so you had like three or four staff that were not vaccinated, but they've all now—they're uh, all now getting the shot. Is that correct? Yeah. I believe we're down, okay. we're down to two uh, left that ha- haven't made their mind up yet. And um, so we've given them the six weeks uh, to, to uh, make their mind up. And the policy right. does say that, that, that you know, if they uh, choose not to, um, that uh, termination is, is uh, the right of the company uh, should they choose not to. Okay. So if they don't get the vaccine, they're fired. That's correct, right. and uh, that's a policy that we follow. The uh, picked up with many of the, the, the nationals, the big banks, the yeah. the um, um, Air Canada, Canada. Yeah. federal government. You know, so um, I mean, again, that's not our first choice. 
we hope that yeah. that uh, people will, will will do the right thing. Um, and it's not just my opinion; it, it it just needs to be the right thing today, Mike, to do. What's been the reaction to? I mean, obviously, they got overwhelming uh, participation by your staff. They're they're going along with this. What's been the reaction generally to your staff to the idea, and also to your customers? What are your customers telling you? Well, we've had a fabulous response from, from our guests um, every day. Um, we hear it both personally, we see it online, on social media. Um, but there are some detractors, and you're always yeah. going to get that. Um, we, we, we do that. We, 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 we did this knowing that there would be detractors, and, and people uh, are certainly welcome to their opinion. Um, but but uh, we, have, we have a business to run and a responsibility to keep everyone safe. So overwhelmingly, the response has been positive to it. Do you think it will be good for business? You know, um, there was an interview done by uh, by um, a local TV station a couple of days ago on, on the Barton Banker patio, and, and one of the comments made by a lady said, you know, it gives us great comfort to know that um, we can go to an establishment that, where we know the staff are vaccinated, where the guests are going to be asked for proof of, of vaccination, full vaccination in a short period of time. And she said, it's nice to go to a place where you have the same values as, as those people. And, and that's comforting. So those were her words on camera. And, and I was impressed. I, I, you know, um, I assume more people think that, but she was very forthright in, in saying it. And I, I don't think it's harmed business yet, uh, our position. And I hope it doesn't, yeah. because I think there's more and more, Mike, in every sector that, that are, are, are put, making this policy and wanting their teams to be vaccinated. Speaking to Matt McNeil, he's the owner of some of the most popular pubs in Victoria, including the Irish Times Pub, the Barden Banker, both big popular pubs in downtown, uh, requiring about requiring his staff to get the COVID vaccination. Uh, do, do you think that this is something that you mentioned, like you hope it's going to be good for business? You, it's not. It's not the most ideal. I guess it's nobody's first choice. Nobody wanted to be into this situation, but is it better than? I guess getting shut down. Like, wasn't wasn't one of your pubs shut down at one point after a couple of people got tested positive? Um, we we actually were part of that ten week closure. We laid three hundred people off in March. Yeah. Um, we had, um, I think it was the Times or the Bard. Sorry, it was the Penny. It was the Penny for farthing in Oak Bay, and yeah. uh, we had uh, I think four of our staff tested positive, contracted from a guest. Is it trace? You know, with the with the contact tracing, they did a great job uh, um, being being able to trace it back and find where it came from. Um, but after it was really a day and, and a half, and and give it a good scrub, and we were back in business. But uh, many businesses have suffered the same same thing, and and uh, you know you just don't know who's carrying this bug, and um, so we can't be too careful. You know, uh, I, I also know Mike that that um, uh, uh, former Attorney General Barry Penner was, was quoted a couple of days ago. He was yes. talking about the challenge to Canadian mobility rights. And um, it was in yesterday's, uh, it was on yesterday's news again. And, and um, when you look at the number of deaths uh, that COVID, it's over 100 a month for 17 months now in British Columbia. We're at 1,800 plus deaths. And BC generally gets 67 uh, uh, drunk driving deaths per year per year so we're 25 times that um with with covid uh, the number of deaths and we need to have the ability to ask people to to vaccinate um that's the only control we have last question for you matt the bc vaccine card system coming in next month and you touched on it briefly there that we'll soon have a requirement not only will your staff be vaccinated but your customers will be required 
to show proof of vaccination to get into the pub. What do you think of that? Do you think this is the right way to go? I mean, there are some businesses starting to speak up now and saying they don't like this, that they will not enforce this. They're not going to be uh, subjected to it. It's a small number, but there are businesses out there complaining and saying they're not going to go along with it. What do you think of it? What do you think of it? I, I, you know what, Mike, um, again, there will be detractors. We have tried to follow the letter of the law, uh, according to BC Health, from the moment the, the, the policies came out. And as you've watched, they, they change so quickly uh, each week, each month. And um, the being told that you have to have, your guests have to have vaccination cards fully vaxxed uh, to come in your store, that means everybody. Um, so there will be some who, who won't check, I'm sure. Um, and yeah. if they get caught, they'll be fined or closed or whatever whatever it is. But again, I go back to the greater good. Everyone has a responsibility. The sooner we do this, the sooner we can get that, to that herd immunity, uh, hopefully. And, uh, and if there's boosters beyond that, we'll take the boosters. And we'll ask our guests to show proof of that and our staff as well. Um, we can't control it any other way. Matt, thank you for coming on today to talk about it. I appreciate it. Mike, thanks very much for having me. Have a great day. All right, welcome back. Let's talk about the BC vaccine card system set to kick in next month. Proof of vaccination will be required to enter a restaurant, pub, movie theater, concert, sporting event. What if you have a rare medical condition that prevents you from taking the vaccine? According to Dr. Bonnie Henry, there will be no exemptions. Have a listen. The short answer is no. Um, This is a temporary measure that's getting us through a risky period where we know that people who are unvaccinated are at greater risk of both contracting and spreading this virus. So if there are um, those rare people who have a medical reason why they can't be immunized, these are discretionary events that we're talking about. So they will not be able to attend those events through this period of time of high risk. Okay, Dr. Bonnie Henry there. Let's discuss now with my guest, Laura Track. Laura is a human rights lawyer with the BC Human Rights Clinic, and I'm pleased to welcome her. Thank you for coming on. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Can you please describe your concerns with the BC vaccine card system as it applies to people who are unable to take the vaccine? Like, you know, notably people have talked about people with disabilities. What are your concerns there? My concerns are that it's a really fundamental principle under human rights law that when blanket policies are designed, they must nevertheless take into account the needs of people with characteristics that are protected by human rights law. And that includes people with disabilities. And we know that there are people who legitimately cannot receive the vaccine due to medical conditions and disabilities, things like allergies or being uh, immunocompromised in some way. These are not folks opposed to the vaccine for personal or political reasons. These are people who legitimately cannot safely receive the vaccine. And under human rights law, policymakers and service providers are required to take steps to what's called accommodate people who have disabilities. And my concern is that this policy contains no exemptions, no opportunities for accommodation of people who legitimately cannot receive the vaccine because of a medical condition. Right. This system, of course, would require people to produce proof of vaccination in order to go to places like a restaurant or a movie or a sporting event and dr bonnie henry has described these events as 
non-essential or discretionary. So there's the, the government's arguing here, well, we're not cutting people off from important government services. You can still go to the hospital if you're not vaccinated. You can still go to the ICBC office and get your driver's license if you're not vaccinated. Does that make a difference? I think it does make a difference in the sense that, you know, nobody's life depends on being able to go to a movie uh, or attend a concert. But at the same time, this policy is going to exclude a segment of the population from important aspects of social and cultural life. It will mean that people can't join their friends on a patio for a meal. A parent can't attend their child's theater performance. While these aren't essential items, they're certainly important to people's lives. And the fact that the policy has been designed in such a way that doesn't seem to allow any scope for a person with a a medical exemption to the vaccine or a medical inability to get the vaccine uh, is is still concerning, despite the fact that these are not essential services or settings that people will be denied. The B.C. Civil Liberties Association earlier this week described the vaccine card system as illegal under human rights law. You appear to agree with them, right? This is illegal what the government's doing here, would you say? I think that the policy is vulnerable to a legal challenge. It would be up to a court or a tribunal to make that ultimate determination. But what we can say for sure is that... uh, as I say, it's a really fundamental and sort of basic principle of human rights law that there is a duty to accommodate and to think about how a policy intended to apply to everyone can have disproportionate or different impacts on people with disabilities and other characteristics protected by the code. I understand that, you know, many people uh, object to the policy for a variety of different reasons. And my sense is that a legal challenge by someone who simply objects to vaccinations or doesn't want to get vaccinated, I think the prospect of success of that sort of legal challenge is low. But the fact that this policy will apply across the board to people with disabilities and other legitimate reasons for being unable to get vaccinated, in my mind, does make it vulnerable to a legal challenge. And I expect that we will see one brought forward. And of course, it will be up to the court to make that final determination of whether the government has, in fact, struck the right balance and is is unable to provide the kind of exemption or accommodations that I'm talking about. Yeah, I suspect you're correct there. What would a reasonable accommodation look like, in your opinion? I mean, if someone has a rare medical condition that prevents them from getting the vaccine, should they be required to show proof of that, show a note from a doctor? How would that work? What I was expecting to see when we got word that there would be an announcement around the vaccine card was that the card be designed in such a way that it could contain that information within it. Either it would uh, say that the person is vaccinated or it would provide the information that this person has a, a medical reason that they cannot be vaccinated. I think the card could be designed in such a way to provide that accommodation right right within it, right within the information that it's providing. And I think it would be legitimate for there to have to be some kind of medical confirmation that the person is unable to be vaccinated in order to be uh, accommodated in a service like a restaurant or a theater. But I think that what we haven't seen any evidence of is 
that the government has considered that option and sort of thought through what it would look like to include that information in the vaccine card. And that, to me, is yeah. a problem. Yeah, the, the BC Human Rights Code also uh, bans discrimination on the basis of uh, religious conviction. And there are some people who say they would they couldn't take the vaccine because of their religious beliefs. Is there a human rights case there, too? I think there could be. Um, uh, I'm not as educated as I as I could be on um, religious objections to vaccination, but I think it is true that uh, someone could launch a legal challenge on the basis that they have a religious objection um, to to vaccination. Again, how a court or a tribunal would see that would be would depend on the evidence and would de- depend on the evidence of that religious conviction and and whether that belief is grounded in a, in a religion. Yeah. But I think you're quite right that the Human Rights Code does protect people from discrimination on the basis of religion, and there could be an argument that there is a, a duty to accommodate people's religious objections to vaccination. How about access to the vaccine, people's ability to get the vaccine, or their possession of a, a smartphone? We've heard that people will have to display some sort of proof of vaccination on a smartphone app, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Not everybody has a smartphone. Some people don't even have ID. Uh, is there a problem there? That's a great point and a real concern from a human rights perspective. Access to the vaccine is absolutely critical. And while it's true that there are you know, multiple clinics and the government recently passed legislation allowing people to take a few hours of time off work in order to be vaccinated, the lack of paid sick leave for many folks makes it difficult to obtain the vaccine and um, manage the reaction that so many of us have experienced afterwards to take a sick day when we're dealing with the after effects of the vaccine. Uh, People with barriers to childcare and transportation still are facing barriers to to getting their jab. And that's a really important consideration to to take account of. People with um, uncertain immigration status may also face barriers. They don't necessarily have a personal health number. They're not covered by MSP. And so there are concerns around their ability to access the vaccine. And the point you make about people's lack of access to ID, we're being told that you have to show your ID as well as your vaccine card. And it's uh, very much the case that many people lack government ID. Those are among the most vulnerable folks among us, people who are um, homeless or precariously housed, often don't have access to the ID that they're going to need to access now these services. So these are all real concerns. Uh, We're told that there will be an option for those who don't have a smartphone, but those details haven't yet been provided. It is a real concern that folks who are already marginalized in our communities will be further excluded from important social, recreational, and cultural aspects of life. Okay, this is a case we're going to follow closely as we go forward. Thank you very much for coming on with your thoughts on it. You're welcome. Thank you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible Berry Chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, welcome back. Let's talk about the coyote attacks in Stanley Park now. And we have seen dozens of coyote attacks on people in the park this year. The BC Conservation Officer Service is warning people to stay out of the park. The latest victims of these aggressive coyotes. The Vancouver Triathlon, the organizers of this event have just announced they are canceling the run portion of the race that typically sees hundreds of runners going through the park. Why are they canceling it? Because they're worried, of course, about their athletes being targeted and attacked by coyotes in the park. Okay, let's discuss this now because I think that when someone is attacked by an animal like this, It's more serious than we think. It can have a bigger impact on someone's life than you may realize. And that's what I want to discuss with my next guest. She was attacked and badly injured by a coyote uh, in the park. Uh, This is a traumatic event that has changed her life. And I know she's nervous about coming on the show today. And she didn't want me to use her name on the air. And I'm going to request that. And I'm very pleased to welcome her. Hi, Thank you very much for coming on today. Thank you for having me on air. Oh, okay. When did this happen to you? Um, end of January, January 21st to be exact. Right. And you were, you're a jogger, right? You were running through the park, is that right? Yes, that's right. Okay. What, what happened? Can you describe it? Well, I was running on the side of the road, um, Stanley Park Drive, which is a busy road. There's cars, bikers, other pedestrians or runners passing by you. And uh, um, excuse me if I get emotional. Um, and next thing I know, there is this coyote behind me biting my leg. And uh, sure enough, uh, it bites deep enough that I fell. And I'm just uh, screaming and the coyote is still there, not scared of me. And I kept uh, screaming because I couldn't get back up. Um, and the rest is history. Uh, I was in surgery within a week. My hamstring was detached from my sit bone. My sciatic nerve was compressed. Um, in my surgeon's words, if I was an elite athlete, this would have been the end of my career. I can never go back to my full mobility again because of this attack and the injury. I can't, I'm still not able to run. I, it took me months to be able to walk or sit, and I'm left with pain for the rest of my life um, because wow. the pain's never going to go away. And this changed my whole life. If you can, it does, the impact of these attacks are huge. I lost everything I had. Imagine not losing your physical health, being an active person, running in Stanley Park for years. Um, and I don't, I still can't understand how all these attacks could not have been prevented before we get to an intervention. I am advocating for prevention of these attacks. Not killing the animals is not, is not the solution. How did we get here? And my whole life changed being on a contract job, 
all my expenses are coming out of my pocket. I have to do two years of rehab in order to hopefully get close to the mobility that I had before the surgery. So, I mean, who would have known? And it wasn't dark when I was running. I wasn't in the trails. And this still happened. And it has changed my life. And I'm pretty sure anybody else who's been attacked, this has changed their lives in a way. Right. You mentioned that I mean, people have been told, oh, stay out of the park at night. Uh, but was this, what time of day was did this happen to you? It wasn't dark yet. I never run in the dark. Um, yeah. It was... Um, Around, I think around four o'clock ish, sometime between wow. four or five. But it was, I never run in the dark. I never run in the trails. I try to be as safe as I can be. And I'd never had any encounters with any animals before in Stanley Park. First time ever. And very, very unfortunate. Did this, did you see this coyote coming at you? Or was it just like suddenly biting your leg? You didn't see it coming? You, I heard a growl behind. I can't talk about. It. I just heard it behind me. Yeah, yeah, and and you, and it knocked you down. It did. Right. It yeah. Did. Okay. And then, like, how long did that go on for? I know. I know you're uncomfortable talking about it. Like, did it? Was it just one of your legs that it bit, or did it did it run away quickly? It bit or? one of my legs, but it didn't run away quickly because I fell. And what I was scared for was the fact that it was still there with me screaming. And I thought, well, I can't get back up, so it could come back and go for my face. But I got lucky that there were bikers who stopped by and, you know, the hospital and all that kind of stuff that happened after. So, and then it affects you mentally and emotionally. Like I can, I have not set foot in Stanley Park since. Let, I, let, let me ask you about that because I know this is, it's been a traumatic experience for you. So what have you experienced since then? Have you had like a, emotional problems or bad dreams or anything like that? Like how has it affected you? It affects you in all possible ways. It took me, um, it's because you lose your mobility, in my case, I could do nothing. There was no release for my stress, for the trauma. So uh, it, I just went into a deep, dark hole of thinking that everything has ended for me. Like not even being able to, I couldn't even walk a walk. And this took months with a hip brace around my, uh, around, uh, my waist, all the way down to my knee not even being able to use the toilet. I mean, it was major. I'm still affected by it. I will be affected by it for the rest of my life. Yeah, you mentioned that the the injuries that you suffered were extensive. I think, did you say your hamstring muscle actually detached? Yep, all three tendons were torn, and my sciatic nerve was compressed because of that. I still have bite marks on my leg, visible. I still have bruises, which I had all the way down my leg. Um, I still have them. Yeah. What is the prognosis? What has your doctor told you? That I will live with pain for the rest of my life because, again, this injury is life-changing. And there's nothing they can do with about the pain I keep, and that I have to do rehab for two years. I've been going um, every week. Um, in order to be able to walk again. And I'm still not able to run that. We don't know when it will happen because uh, that will happen very slowly if it happens. And I can never go back to working out and running the way that I used to. So the doctor says you. there's a difference, again, in his words, between what you want to do and what you can do now. Wow. And you lost your job as a result of this too? I did. I did. What kind of job did you have? I work for the school district, so I was on a contract, I lost my job, well, everybody was affected by COVID already, so I lost my job, 
and being on a contract, imagine the cost of rehab that you you have, and it's not optional. I have to do it or I can't walk, I can't sit, I can't even go back to working out. So it's been a huge burden. It's affected me in all possible ways. I'm so sorry this has happened to you. My heart's just breaking for you as I listen to your story. And, um, you know, this has happened to dozens of people uh, this year. We've had children. We've had small children attacked by coyotes in the park. Mike, Uh, I'm going to interrupt you for a second. If what had happened to me had happened to a child, that child would have been dead. I have no doubt of that. This is serious. This is serious. Like The bleeding that was caused internally was massive. Mm-hmm. What do you think should should be done? I mean, there are people calling for action here. Um, what do you think should be done about it? I don't know. I'm an advocate for, for prevention before yeah. intervention. We have let this happen. I've lost count of people who've been attacked by it. Like I, and there are people who don't even report it. You, pe- you see people with ripped pants or ripped skirts who who say that they've been attacked by a coyote. How did we get here? That's a question that I still haven't had answered. How did this start happening, considering that we live in a city, that we enjoy the nature side by side with the animals living in that nature? These animals have been there, from my understanding, for years. What happened now? Well, something it, certainly people, needs to be done. It needs to be done because this is going to be... It, it, what happened to me was tragic. But if I keep thinking if this had happened to a child, who knows what would have happened. I want to thank you for sharing your story. I know it was difficult for you to talk about, and I I certainly hope for your full and complete recovery from this and that you get back to running and you get back to your, your life again. And thank you for sharing the story today. I thought you showed a lot of courage doing it. Thank you, Mike. Thanks. Okay. Thank you very much. And wow, I mean, that's a story of someone who was attacked by one of these coyotes in Stanley Park, and it was not a minor deal, as you heard. Her life has been changed. The injury she suffered was extensive, physical, and mental as well. Lost her job, lost her mobility. This is the situation we face with these animals in the park. I think the park board has done a terrible job in responding to this. I think the the officials have, there's been a terrible official response to this. This has happened to dozens of people. Let me check in quickly with uh, Bill Thielman, who's uh, been a, a guest here on the show on this issue in the past. He's got a petition campaign going on it. Bill, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Mike. This is hey, just a terrible, terrible story. R- real quickly, your your thoughts on it, and then we'll take a break and take some phone calls. Sure. I think this is uh, I just it, it underlines the seriousness, and I really appreciate the woman coming forward and, and talking about the fact that if she had been a child in the park with the same attack, the child would have would have died. No right. question about it. And I keep saying, how long are we going to wait to take serious action? There's there's not been enough done. We've got the park board throwing its hands up, said it's stumped. It's stumped by this situation. Well, the situation, the, the solution is pretty obvious. We have to get rid of the coyotes in Stanley Park who have proven that they're, they're dangerous and potentially deadly, and do it now. Yeah, now we've debated this on the show. We've had people who come on the show and said, leave the, leave the coyotes alone. They are just doing the, the natural thing that coyotes do, and we're infringing on their turf, and they should not be called or re- even removed from the park. But you, what do you think should be done? Well, they should be euthanized. They should be the conservation service. They've already taken six of them out. Uh, all of the coyotes that are in the park right now are... are 
potentially dangerous and and they're habituated to humans and they're attacking humans so, so there's no there's no choice in the matter it's not about relocating them or asking them to behave or telling everyone else in the park to not drop any crumbs of food or anything. They're dangerous animals in the park. They have to be gotten rid of. Well, I think it's unacceptable for the park service or, or the conservation service to say the answer is stay out of the park. I mean, this is the, like, this park is like the crown jewel of Vancouver. And I don't think it's an adequate response to just tell people don't go in there. I mean, this is Vancouver. This is our park. It's crazy. It's like, uh, where, where on earth would you take, like, if this happened in Central Park, if this happened in, in, you know, any of the great parks of the world, people would be going absolutely nuts, and the authorities would take action to solve the problem. I mean, these aren't endangered species, and they don't belong here. They're not native to Vancouver. They arrived here in the 1980s. They didn't have any history before that in this, in this area at whatsoever. And this is just nuts. It's just pandering to some dangerous wild animals at the expense of people. How many, how many people have signed your petition? We're over 500 right now. I just started a little while ago. You know, I'm not, I'm not putting any money into it or promoting it. I, I hope people will sign it and share it with their friends. Uh, it's on change.org, okay. Kick Coyotes Out of Vancouver. And um, people have been very responsive. All right, talking about aggressive coyotes in Stanley Park with my guest Bill Thielman. Tons of phone calls here. Daryl in Coquitlam. Hey, Daryl. Hi, thank you for taking my call. I totally agree with Bill. I'm from the Canadian prairies, and coyotes are a species from the prairies. They followed the grain cars to British Columbia. They're not a, an animal from British Columbia. And they do not exist in the same space as wolves. They came with the grain cars. We eradicate plants that aren't native here. We inspect boats for mussels that aren't native here fish that people have put in Trout Lake that are not native here, that, that are predators. So I, I don't understand the argument that they should not be eradicated. I will wait for yeah. your response and Bill's. Daryl, thanks for the call. I'm tending to agree with you here, Bill. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. And, you know, <clears throat> we see there's these invasive mussels, and they're, they're signs up. Don't go to the Okanagan with these invasive mussels on your boat. There's signs here in Vancouver about uh, different moths and and Japanese worms and things we got to watch out for. But we let wild animals that attack people roam the, okay. roam, roam the paths of Stanley Park and attack joggers like your guest. Let's go to Lee on the line in Vancouver. Hi, Lee. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm really disappointed that we don't have any predator-proof garbage cans yeah. in Stanley Park. What are they thinking? Okay, I, I, agree. I agree with you. That's a no-brainer. That should have been job one. Let's go to John in Vancouver. Hi, John. Hey, good morning. You know, I'm really sad for that lady. She had a great yeah. active life. She had a job. I think the city of Vancouver should be sued by her and or they should pay for all her compensation, all of her therapy, and then offer her a job for the rest of her life. And if there was a wild bear or a domestic dog have done this in Stanley Park, of course, it would be put down. So, hey, I love coyotes, too. But, you know, at the time comes a time when we have to be responsible to the mass of the people. Thank you. Thank you, John. I feel totally sympathetic to her, too. My heart was just breaking for her when she described her injuries and what's happened to her life. And the same thing ran through my mind, too. Maybe she she should sue somebody. James in Vancouver. Hey, James. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I just want to know, when you kill all the coyotes, what are you going to do about all the rats and all the rodents and stuff that are going to, like, completely overrun the entire park after that happens? Have you given any thought into that? Bill Thielman. Sure, there's about 20 coyotes, it's estimated, in Stanley Park that are causing all this. They are not eating all the rats in Vancouver. We had a rat problem and a mouse problem and a rodent problem for years before these attacks, so they clearly weren't doing their job then. They're not doing okay. it now. Steve in Coquitlam. Hey, Steve. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Um, 
as far as the Stanley Park goes, I mean, the Coyotes don't have any other place to go. I mean, you know, with the building and everything, that's the only woods. I mean, that's of course they're going to live there. But here in Coquitlam, I did see a coyote with a cat in its mouth. Oh. So, I mean, yeah, that was that was unbelievable. I mean, uh, I mean, around the lamppost, you see missing cat, missing small dog. They're being taken by the coyotes. Now, you don't see missing Rottweiler. You don't see missing <laughs> Pitbull. You don't see missing yeah. Lab. I mean, you know, I mean, these people have to understand this. I mean, that's they're taking okay. them. Um, Steve, sorry thank- about that lady. Thank you. 